I am uh, in, in the middle of a sermon series. Actually, I'm not at the middle. I'm at the end of it. So this is the fourth part of a sermon series that we've been doing called We the Church. We've just been talking about what the church is, what it's called to do, and the certain roles of the church. And this week, specifically, I'm going to finish it up by speaking about edify. And that's a, a, a big word, a big biblical word that we're going to go into as, as we open it up. But, you know, depending on who you're in a relationship with, you got a different role depending on who you're in a relationship with. Like, my role with my wife, I'm, I'm her husband. My role with Naomi, I'm her father. My role with you guys, you know, I'm lucky enough to be the pastor of one of the best congregations on planet Earth. Praise God. Look, I, look y'all know when to clap. You give, you give yourself a clap because you are the best congregation. So, uh, good job. Uh, but yeah, again, and, and so based on your role, you have, you have a different role based on your relationship. And the church has different roles. Like, for example, we talked the first week about our role as the church, our relationship first and foremost is to God, and that is that we must worship God. So when we come in, now that worship is a daily thing. It impacts how you live. It impacts how you treat others. It impacts every aspect of who you are. And everybody worships. It's just a matter of what you are worshiping. Amen. Somebody said, well, I'm an atheist. I don't worship. No, you worship something, whether it's yourself or even your own atheist ideologies. Everybody worships, and everybody is becoming what they worship. What you worship is ultimately what you are becoming, what you put your energy into, your time, your heart, your affection, what you give your praise to, that is what you're being transformed into the image of. And so when God calls us, look, God likes something specific, and the Scripture teaches that He likes our praise. He, like, he inhabits the praises of his people. That's why when we meet together, the very first thing that we do is we begin to sing songs of praise to God because we're entering into a place of worship where we behold the God of glory who sent his son Jesus to die for us on the cross for our sins and we give him the glory that is due unto his name. And when we do that, we believe that as the gathered people, as the church, it's not just a building, but when we gather in the name of Jesus, the Spirit of God manifests himself among us, and that's what makes us the church. Secondly, our relationship with the devil is that we conquer him, and the church is the billboard of Satan's defeat. And we're called to go out into the world to exercise the victory that Jesus has already won over the devil on the cross. Let me tell you something. The devil has zero authority except what you give him. He's already been defeated on the cross. And the church is called to go out and exercise that defeat and that authority that Jesus has purchased for us over him. But then from that place of worship, from that place of conquering, we reach the world, don't we? We move out beyond the walls because church is not just about how good of a service we can have on Sunday, but it's it's how effectively can we reach people on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday and move outside the walls into the world to invite them into this same relationship. But then lastly is edify. Because if we worship up, we conquer down, we reach out, then we have to be, as a church, we edify within. When we gather together, when we're in small groups, when we meet on a Wednesday night for a prayer night, we gather together to build one another up, to strengthen one another, to encourage one another so that we can effectively go out and do what God's called us to do. So, I mean, here's the thing. We are both a gathered people and we are to be a scattered people. That means that we gather in the name of the Lord and we don't cease doing that. And when we gather, God shows up. He moves his people he ministers to his people he edifies and builds up and strengthens and encourages his people so that when his people go outside of that meeting they have the power of God within them to reach the world for the sake and the gospel of Jesus Christ amen 
So that's just a little bit of a rundown of what we're going through. But the church's role in relationship to itself and one another within the body is to edify one another. Now that word's like kind of like an old-fashioned King James Version word, but I like those words. And what it'll be translated in a lot of the translations that you read is it'll be build up, like you're building something up. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Paul says this. When he said, he's talking to the church as they're meeting together, he says, Therefore, encourage one another... And build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Build each other up. How many of y'all, you like do-it-yourself projects? Anybody? I hate them. Uh, just this week, I patched drywall. I fixed a refrigerator. And, I mean, the entire time, it was pretty sketchy. You know what I mean? Like, I do a halfway job. We build stuff around here in the church. Sometimes, a lot of times, we do more tearing down. We've installed PTAC units, like 10 of them. We built that. Me and Brian Jackson Shep built that big column outside that you see with the signs on it. And, and I mean, I didn't know what in the world I was doing, but, but Brian Jackson can rig anything. But I'm, I'm so bad at building that we got a running joke, you know, that whenever I bring my tool bag, Brian says, it looks like you brought Andrea's tool bag. <laughs> we, we'll, we'll need to fix something in the church, and Brian will say, hey, did you bring Andrea's tool bag? So, yeah, I got it. So, I mean, I, I don't like do-it-yourself projects. I'm not that great at building. But the fact of the matter is, is if you're going to bring about good change, you're going to make things look good, and things are going to function and run properly, every now and then everybody's got to do a little bit of building. And God uses this metaphor to say that within the body of Christ, we are called to tear some old walls down and to build some new walls up and to edify the body into the fullness of, of Christ himself. We are builders. Christ is a builder. Now, this word, edify, is a Greek word. And I know how y'all like Greek words. But oikodomeo, right? That's a good one right there. I like it. You can say it if you want to. There you go. Oikodomeo. Praise God. And literally what it means is to build up from a foundation. It means to repair, restore, rebuild, and it can even mean to embolden. It's used 39 times in the New Testament. And get this, when, when the Bible talks about how you are to relate to your brother or sister in Christ, this is the most used word in the New Testament. We are to love one another with a pure heart fervently. It says that over and over again. It says that, that all the world will know that we're Christ's disciples because of our love that we have for one another. But it says that we are called more than anything, not just to love one another, but to build one another up. It's the most used word in the New Testament. We are building people, but see, we are, we are from the master builder. His name is Jesus Christ. Matthew 16, 18, you, you guys know this one. I've read this several weeks in a row, but it says, I say to you that you are Peter. Peter has just told Jesus, he said, who do you say that I am? He said, he said some people say that you're, you know, Jeremiah, you're Elijah, you're a prophet, you're a great man, whatever. He said, but who do you say that I am? He said, I say that you're the Christ. You are the son of the living God. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, Peter, but my father which is in heaven. And he says, I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build. And that's that word again, oikos. Mayo, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is always building his true church. 
I don't care if the news says that church uh, attendance is declining. I don't care if it says that the churches are compromised and they're teaching false doctrine. I don't care. Jesus is still building his true church. And his true church will always remain because he is the one that is building it. We are simply yielding to what Jesus wants to do in this house because it's not our church to have. It's not our church to manage. We yield to what Jesus wants to do because he is the builder of this church. And that was the launching of the local church he says i'm going to build from a foundation on this confession that you believe i am the christ i am the son of the living god and if you can gather around that confession i will build and make you a body this is why it says that i will be lifted up and draw all men unto me when we lift not ourselves up when we're not here for ourselves but we are here for jesus to lift up his name and let him flow through us to build up the body all of a sudden people begin to experience the presence of god they experience salvation and god moves in our midst so we're built we're made we're called to be a body that builds one another up and doesn't tear one another down amen now i don't know about you but i've been in churches i've been in this church eight years now and there are seasons in life, I just got to be straight up honest with you, and this is, you know, people talk about church here, but I've been in churches and around people in church where sometimes I felt torn down. I felt beat up. I felt discouraged. I felt attacked. I felt it. Have you ever felt that in church? Praise God. Well, let me just formally apologize to you if you felt that here, right? Amen. Like, because here's the thing. The church, like I said, is not perfect. The church struggles, but if you find a perfect church, as I said the last three weeks, don't go to it because you'll ruin it. There are no perfect churches, but we are called to be growing. And guess what? When a family, I don't know what happens inside of your walls, but every now and then we got a scuffle at the house. But we work through it in love. We forgive one another. We move on. And in the house of God, guess what? We are God's household. Ain't nobody in here perfect. We're all dealing with our stuff. And sometimes we upset one another. Sometimes we tear down one another. But we forgive and we move on and realize we are called to build one another up, be encouragers, and strengthen one another in the love of Jesus Christ. This is what we're called to do. And some things you just cannot delegate. You can delegate. We can get somebody to mow the lawn out here. We've got some really good guys that do it. You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and you can get certain things delegated. You can delegate somebody to outsource the, the, the financing and the accounting. But one thing you cannot delegate is your responsibility to build your brothers and sisters up in Christ. Ain't nobody else can do that for you. Nobody else can read your Bible for you. Nobody else can pray for you. Nobody else can have a relationship with Jesus for you. You've got to have it for yourself. But when you come in among the church, nobody else can build your brothers and sisters up for you. It's something that you have to take ownership of because, listen, the government ain't going to build these people up. I don't know about if you know or not, CNN and Fox News ain't going to build people up. They are tearing people down. Amen. The media, Netflix, probably ain't going to build you up after a binge. You might just sort of be complacent. You might, I, I don't know. You might, might feel somewhat encouraged. I don't know. But it ain't going to build you up in Christ. Your kids in their school system, they ain't going to build them up. In, the only body on the earth, the only entity on the earth that is going to build you up in Christ is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what we're called. This is why when we have a hard week, when we come into church, man, we ought to say, you know what? I'm excited about church because this week has got me down but i'm about to be in the presence of god with my brothers and i'm about to hear caitlin sing a song that's going to get me amped up i'm about to hear a word from the lord that's going to encourage me maybe even convict me but it's going to strengthen me and i'm going to be able to move into this next week and take the bull by the horns because i am encouraged 
But see, the opposite of building up, obviously, is tearing down. Y'all ever been around people who just like to tear stuff down more than they build it? Whenever I try to build stuff, sometimes I accidentally tear it down. I changed a refrigerator part out, and I started sweating back here at one point because I thought, well, I have actually went to fix a small problem and maybe broke the whole fridge. <laughs> Sometimes I do that preaching, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, I sure tried to fix a small problem this morning. We end up destroying the whole congregation, praise God. Uh, but what happens is we tend, and all of us at some point or another fall into one of these categories I think and one of the first things that we can be that tears people down instead of building them up is we can become cynical we can be bitter we can be distrustful we can be pessimistic anybody I get that way sometimes and always expecting and believing the bad you ever been around people that even when you get you're like man I think God's going to I don't know man I don't know about that just always cynical, always doubting, always questioning, always wondering whether or not this is going to be a reality. Secondly, we can be critical. And critical people tend, they're inclined to find fault and they're inclined to judge with severity. Like some people just are really, really good at finding what's wrong. Amen. And they think somehow that's a spiritual gift. Like, it's a spiritual gift to be able to find everybody's fault. and be, Look, there are plenty of fault finders in the world. What I need is somebody that's going to come and find the good in me and stir it up and strengthen me and encourage me. Yeah. Amen. We can be condescending. You ever been around somebody that's just so self-righteous? Well, we're doing it right. They're doing it wrong. You get this in church a lot, a lot because one church thinks they're doing it right and the other churches are all doing it wrong. It's a condescending attitude. Let me tell you something. Churches all do it differently. If this ain't your flavor, there's plenty of good churches out here that'll be your flavor and God will plant you in a church because you need to be planted. If you keep shopping, you need to pick the, the one that you love the most. Amen. But you need to be in a body of believers and not be condescending, think you've got it figured out when everybody else doesn't. That self-righteous, condescending attitude tends to tear down. Complaining to express dissatisfaction or annoyance about something, which we do regularly, amen, to express some dissatisfaction. But the point is, when you come in among the people of God, does your attitude and the things you say, does it build up or does it tear down? Do you tend towards thanksgiving and pointing out the good, or do you tend toward pointing out all that's negative and complaining uh, more times than not? Sarcastic, sometimes you can be harsh, cutting, bitter, mocking, and you can use irony to point out the deficiencies or failings of others, or you can just gossip, which is idle talk that casts somebody else in a negative light. And basically, the Scripture's saying these are none of the things that should be on the lips of a follower of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, Paul says it like this in Ephesians 4.29. He says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for what? For necessary edification, for necessary building up, that it may impart grace to the hearers, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So he says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. The Greek word here, it means rotten. Y'all ever went to the, to the grocery store and you brought your fruit home and you're like, man, this is going to be good. And you cut into it and the thing is rotten on the middle and just like eat up with, with fuzz and mold and junk like that. And it's good for nothing. Matter of fact, if you ate it, you'd probably get sick. Some people live in a state of mind where all of the words that are coming out of their mouth are rotten. And if somebody consumes it, they get spiritually sick. And he says, let no 
corrupt word, rotten word, come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for necessary edification. So everybody needs built up. And he's saying, if you want to speak some words as a Christian, make sure what you're speaking is actually going to build people up and strengthen them. And not only that, make sure that it's going to impart grace to the hearers. Grace is undeserved favor or blessing. Sometimes people don't deserve our good words, do they? And you ever get in that attitude, you're like, well, I don't much care about them, you know. <laughs> and then you take the gossiping, and then you take the tearing down, and then sometimes you subtweet on Facebook. And you do all of those things, but ultimately he said, no, you need to minister grace, something that they don't deserve, but it strengthens them because when you do that, it points them to the grace of God and the goodness of God in their life. And they say, man, man, that's the character and nature of God. I didn't deserve any of this, but he loves me anyway. He speaks life over me anyway, and he looks to edify me. I was studying this, and I came across a, uh, a scientific study. You can read about it. It's called the Five Monkey Study. And I was reading it, and so these scientists, they did this study where they put five monkeys in a room with a ladder in a room, and at the top of the ladder was a big bunch of bananas. So these monkeys, obviously, they see the bananas. They're going to climb up the ladder. But whenever the first one climbed up, they hit it with an ice bath. I'm thinking, man, that's the wrong way to do a monkey. <laughs> I'm going to quit reading this right now and call Peter. Y'all shouldn't have done that. <laughs> anyway, the monkey goes back down, doesn't get the bananas. Next monkey goes up, boom, ice bath. And all those monkeys get an ice bath. So they start moving the monkeys out. Uh, they take two monkeys and move the new monkeys in. New monkeys start going up, and before the new monkeys can even get halfway up, the old monkeys start pulling them down. Old monkeys start pulling them down. Well, I couldn't get there. I ain't going to let you get there either. And then before long, all of the other monkeys were moved out, and new monkeys were moved in, and they had five new monkeys. None of them had ever received an ice bath, but none of them could get to the bananas because all of them were pulling each other down, and they didn't know why they were pulling each other down. The point being is that you can create a culture where because you didn't make something or because something didn't happen for you, that you get torn up about what's going on and you stop edifying and building and lifting others up because you are so self-focused that now you're pulling other people down to where you're at and you don't even know why you're doing it. And listen, we are call, if I, look, if I don't ever get what, what, I, what I want in my life, you know what, one thing that I can die and hope that God says about me is, you know what, he never really got some of the things that he wanted and asked for, but man, he pushed others up to get it. He sure put other people in his place and pushed other people up to get it. And that's what we're called to do. And he says, impart grace to the hearers. And then right in the same context, he says, and do not grieve the Spirit of God. Because when you are full of the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God gets a hold of your tongue. He causes you to say things and oftentimes not say things. You'll be ready to say something and he'll say, no, you better not say that. Hold that in. Anybody done that? Like, I hit my finger a couple times this week. He held me back. You know what I mean? <laughs> but then when I get around the people of God, what I sense is like, oh, I'll say things and I will think in my mind, I'm not this positive of a person. 
This is, I'm saying things that are more positive than I usually believe about. Because I'm sensing that it's the Spirit of God at work within me. And He is grieved when we say negative things. He's grieved when we tear people down. He is grieved when we hurt people. He's grieved when our speech is unbecoming of what a Christian should be. And He says, don't grieve the Spirit by speaking those things. So how do we build one another up in the Lord? And this is some pretty simple stuff. I'm going to give you five quick ones. But number one, we encourage that's what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Encourage means to place courage into the heart of someone. To put courage into the heart of one another. This is why I love Jeremy Baker, and, we, and you know, he, he, he's down here with us working. But you, if you're around Jeremy, I don't care. Every meal you've ever had with that man, if somebody else cooked it, he said, huh, never had a better meal. He said, when have you at, tell me when you've had a better meal. Best cook in America right here. Like, he will lift you up, and he believes it's the thing about it. Like, he's not lying. He believes what he's saying to be true, but encouragement is built into the man. So, like, I get, I get around most people, and I'm like, golly, I ain't really worth a dime. I should probably quit. <laughs> I get around Jeremy, and I'm like, man alive, we could raid hell tonight. Let's look. Like, we could do anything. We could take on the world. And I get around somebody that lifts me up, encourages me, speaks into the gifts and the abilities that I have, makes me feel better about what God is doing in me because he lifts me up and he encourages me. See, Jesus taught a parable one time, Luke 18. It says that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said in John 16, that in this world you're going to have some trouble, some tribulation, but take heart. Because I have overcome the world. And encouragement is putting courage into the heart of someone so that they can take heart in the midst of their tribulation and difficulty and say, we're going to make it through. You know what? It may be difficult, but I'm going to make it through. I'm not going to be beat down. Jesus is on my side. I'm more than a conqueror through the one that loved me. And we are going to get through this because I don't know if you've realized this or not, but the li life can sometimes be tough. Like people face difficulties. We have prayer meetings and some of the things that we pray over if you carry the burden of all that in a week's time, it'll crush you, the things that people are going through. And you think, man, how is it that people can carry the load of all of the things that are going on? This is why it's so essential, and I believe this is why Paul uses this word more than anything in the New Testament to talk about how we ought to treat each other. He knows that the world is going to tear you down and take away from you. So when you get around your brothers and sisters in Christ, you need to get around some people that will build you back up. Because life is tough, and it takes away from you. But that word encourage is a Greek word. I'm going to say a few. Y'all are all right with it, I know. Parakaleo is the word, but, it, but it's a very specific word because it means to come alongside. So what it doesn't mean is as I'm peeling out of the parking lot, I say, hey, God's we, don't worry about it, you'll be all right. You know what I'm saying? Like He's saying that I don't just pay, pay somebody a compliment and say, you're going to be all right, God's with you. But I come alongside of that person as they're struggling, as they're hurting, as they're burdened. I speak words of encouragement to them. I grieve with them if I must. I rejoice with them when we have victories. But I come alongside of that person to stay with them through that process. And here's what I love about our church is, so, is we get a lot of, lot of things going on. And we've got a, a, you know, a decent-sized congregation. And sometimes you know, we, I don't get to contact every single person that's going through some stuff. But when I do contact them, you know what 
I hear a lot of times, I hear people say, you know what, Clay, you got a good church because I've had so many people from the church already call and check in on me. That's what I'm talking about. Not that I'm just the one that called. We, we, are the, we all have this responsibility. We all have this responsibility to care for one another, to come alongside of one another, to strengthen one another. And see, Jesus, when he was ascending into heaven, they said, Lord, we don't want you to go away. You go away, we're going to be in a bad shape. And he said, don't worry, it's actually better that I go away because I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you the spirit of truth. And the word he uses, guess what? It's the paraclete. It's one that is called alongside to help, to encourage, to teach, to comfort, to give us what we need. So when you come along somebody to strengthen them, help them, and speak life into them, you are partnering with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And see, that's what we're called to do. We're called to say, Holy Spirit, as I'm praying in the morning, as I'm praying here at church, is there somebody in here that I can give a word of encouragement to? Is there somebody here that I can strengthen? Put somebody on my mind that I can pour courage into their hearts because they're going through a hard time. And let us come alongside of them to participate in the work of the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12, Apostle Paul says it like this. He says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So not only do we encourage, but we urge. And urge is a tough word because it means to move, push, or force along to move something into action. Sometimes you got to get behind some brothers and sisters and just give them a good nudge. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you need to urge them to say, you know what, you're better than this. This isn't what God's called you to. And you need to remind them with a word of encouragement, that behavior is not the real you. I know Christ lives on the inside of you. I remember when you were born again by the Spirit of God. I remember when you got saved. You were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that is not who you are. And I'm urging you to live a life that is worthy of the call that God has on your life. And sometimes that means we have hard conversations. You ever had to have a hard conversation with somebody? I got people in my life that every now and then I'll call them up and tell them some of the stuff I'm going through, and they'll have a hard conversation with Sometimes my wife, thank God, will have a hard conversation with me. And some of you women, you need to have a hard conversation with your husband. Chew him out. <laughs> Amen. He being real net. Men are grumpy, man, and negative. And anybody amen me this morning? And every now and then, they just need to be reminded, you need to get some joy in your heart. If you, <laughs> amen. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Men don't like me this morning, but it's, it's good. It's true. I know men because I am one, turns out. <laughs> Number three, we speak the truth in love. Again, the word oikodomia is to build up, repair, rebuild, restore. Ephesians 4, it says it like this, verse 15. Instead... Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up. There's that word again, oikodomio. It grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. See, so we are called to speak the truth in love to one another. Now, I want to make this statement to you because you can't speak truth effectively without love. But you can't love effectively without truth. And that's a difficult because what happens is people tend to veer to one side or the other. 
And some people will speak truth with self-righteous anger. And some people will speak truth in a manner that carries no love. They don't care if the person lives or dies. They're just going to speak truth in a manner. And when the person on the receiving end can tell this isn't coming from a place of love, all it does is cause a greater divide. And honestly, there's a lot of reason that we are divided in our world. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes when you speak the truth, even in as much love as you can possibly speak it, like the way that Jesus did, it's still going to cause division because the gospel is an offense to the world. Some people just aren't going to like it. Matter of fact, Jesus said, don't think that I've come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. Sometimes when you speak the truth, people will reject it. They don't want to hear it, and it will cause a division regardless. But we are called to speak the truth in such a loving way that when we do, for those who have an open heart to it, they're going to respond to what you're saying. And so he says, we're called to speak this truth in love, and at the same time, right, Here's what I need you to understand, that if we're not willing, if we're not a loving church, we are not a loving church if we sit silent while one of our brothers or sisters or the world itself is destroying itself. We can't sit silent. If we do love, one thing that we know we can do is speak the truth to that person. Oftentimes, it is love that compels us to have the most difficult conversations. Our world is telling us now that the most loving thing you can do is don't confront nobody. Let everybody do what they want to do. Let everybody be who they want to be. Let everybody choose what they want to choose. And I'm telling you that no, the most loving thing that you can do is confront people with the truth of God's word, with the truth of the gospel, and call people to repentance and say, Jesus loves you. God, matter of fact, loves you so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross for your sin. But these things that you're currently practicing, they do not line up with God's word, and it's destroying your life. But if you will turn, Jesus will extend his grace. He will save your soul. He'll give you the the Holy Spirit and a new heart and a new mind. He will transform your life. And matter of fact, I will come alongside you and strengthen you and encourage you as you struggle so that we can both move in the direction of Jesus and we can become more and more like Christ as we walk together. But it starts with speaking the truth in love to those who are in this situation. And here's the thing, people in your life, so many people, they're, they're not connected to a body, to a church they don't have relationships with Christians, so they don't have anybody that will hold them accountable. Now, I know you think I'm a holy man, but guess what? I need people in my life that will hold me accountable. Just because I have a good relationship with Jesus does not mean that I'm not going to be tempted and struggle and sometimes even be on the verge of failing. But I need people that will pick me up if I do fail. I need people that will call me out when I'm heading in the wrong direction. I need sources of accountability. And when we are uniquely tied together, we have that in the body of Christ where people can challenge us and hold us accountable. But if we're just floating around on our own everywhere, then we can slip into all kinds of cracks. We can go in left field all over the place because we don't have our brothers and sisters around us to build us up and point us in the right direction. Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 14, he says, So Christ gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service or, or ministry so that the body of Christ may be built up. There's that word again, edified. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful, 
deceitful scheming. So today, honestly, there are a lot of false ideologies, just crazy stuff floating around everywhere. It's dipping into the church. He says, we don't need to be tossed to and fro by all of these, but we need to stand in God's word. We need to stay in God's word. Let it build us up. But the body of Christ, right? He says, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, they are giving to build up and equip the saints so that the saints can in turn do ministry in the world. And he says, we're going to keep doing this until we come together with each ligament and tendon and we're all tied together, knitted together to become the body of Christ and we are growing into the mature image of Christ himself on the earth. Because we're his body in the earth. What Jesus wants to do in this world, he is going to get done through his body. That's why we are his body. And so we take that responsibility upon ourselves to say we need to stand in truth, not be tossed to and fro by the whims of the world and crazy teaching, but we need to stand in the truth of God's word and be built up so that we can be the body of Christ in this world. But see, this word equip, it's very interesting. It's only used two times in the New Testament. And it's used this one time where he says he gives pastors, evangelists, teachers to equip the body for the working of the ministry, to equip the saints for the working of the ministry. The other time that it's used, Jesus uses it when he's telling James and John, and they're talking about mending their nets. Can you believe that? So the point is, is that this equipping means that when people come in and they hear the gospel, the role of the church and the role of leaders and pastors and teachers and people within the church is to mend those broken people, get them healed up, let them grow in the word of God, let them develop a prayer life and a spiritual life. And as Jesus begins to heal them and repair them and rebuild them and make them new, they are equipped now to go out and do the ministry that God has called them to do. If you are a believer in Jesus, you have a calling, you have a ministry God has called you to do something in this world for his glory and for his name and he's called the leaders to equip and so there's a lot of things in this church even that we have to repair that we have to rebuild some walls even that need to be torn down in our hearts and some walls that need to be rebuilt but next we need to embolden one another number four you ever left church and just felt more beat up than when you first came it's always a good day isn't it i'm kidding y'all didn't laugh (laughs) i've done that i mean i've done that so and i imagine i've probably as many sermons as i've preached at this point i've probably been the guy behind the one that discouraged some people you know what i mean now if i discourage you because I, i i call you to a place of repentance and you're just not willing to let down your sin that's one thing i'm willing to i'm willing to do that amen I'm willing to go after issues that are destroying your life. But what I do not want to do is make you feel a distance from Christ. Make you feel like His grace is not sufficient. Make you feel like somehow you're disqualified or you don't have a calling on your life if you are a a, a believer in Christ Jesus. I don't want to do that. I want to build you up, strengthen you, encourage you, and I want you to leave emboldened in who you are as a child of God. That this is who I am. God has me protected. He's going to take care of me. My life is is in His hands. He's sovereign over my life. He's leading my steps, and He's given me the Spirit so that when I go out, I can be equipped for every good work and I want you to be emboldened and that's why in Hebrews chapter 10 it says verse 24 and 25 it says let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near now I can't come alongside people if they ain't gonna gather with me 
You know what I'm talking about? It's really hard. Like, I, I got to be honest with you. I do try. I reach out to people all the time that I don't gather with. And I, I even counsel people that don't go to church and don't come. One of my, my, one of my key tips whenever they don't go to church, there was a guy who wanted counseling in Corbin just the other day. You know what I did? I connected him with a pastor in Corbin. He going to church this morning in Corbin. So, so my point is, I'm, I'm looking to get them under some spiritual authority to get them to help because they do not, if they need to be built up and strengthened and encouraged and changed, they need to get into a local body where they do not forsake the gathering of themselves together. And I know it's a very, it's a very popular thing in today's world to just say, you know what, uh, me and Jesus got our own thing going, I believe, but I ain't going to church because then people's weird. And that Clay Bishops, he's weird. I get it, but the Lord's put us here. You know what I'm saying? I mean, my, I'm sorry. But he says, consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Now, stirring somebody up. You know, Andre and I, we've been drinking something weird midday. Like, she started making this orange juice and coconut water, and it's got, like, sea salt in it with some collagen. I, it, yeah. And it's supposed to, like, restore all your nutrients. It makes you feel better. I don't know. It's a midday pick-me-up. It's got all this... But the thing is, is that collagen, man, if you don't get that stuff stirred up, it just sits thick down in the bottom. And if you get it at the end, it is gross. <laughs> so you know what she got? She got this electric stirrer. And I'm telling you, and it stirs that thing up. And all the good stuff at the bottom comes to the top, goes out within, and you drink it. And it's just, ah, it's refreshing. <laughs> My point is, is that there's a lot of people who have some good stuff, but it's laying at the bottom. A lot of people in here this morning, you got some good stuff in you that Christ has put in you, but it's laying at the bottom. It's dormant. It needs to be stirred up. And the church, the people of God, should be like that electric stirrer that takes all the good stuff at the bottom and begins to stir it up and bring it to the top. This is why Paul told Timothy, you need to stir up the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. You need to fan that thing into flames because you've been discouraged by your congregation, Timothy. You've been discouraged by all the bad things that are going on in the world. You've been discouraged because you've seen what's happening in, in your community. You've been discouraged by things not going the way you planned they would go and you need to let that fear not take over your life but you need to stir up and fan into flames that gift that is within you and you need to grab some people around you that got good stuff in them laying dormant and stir it up and fan them into flames and remind them of who they are in Jesus Christ so when you come to church it should not be how can I get stirred up this morning it should be how can I stir up somebody this morning how is God going to use me to encourage my, even if it says I'm walking out the door, you know what, the Lord just dropped this verse in my heart, I want to share it with you, because I believe you may be going through a difficult time, and let me pray for you brother, let me call you this week and check on you about Wednesday, just to see how things are going, I'm going to be praying for you this week, how can I stir somebody up to bring out the good in them, to remind them of who they are in Christ and what God's doing in their life, amen. My last point, my most controversial point, you ready? We desire the Spirit's gifts. That's one of the ways that we build one another up. Because of all the places in Scripture where Paul used the word oikodomio, he used it the most in context, 1 Corinthians 14 specifically, centered around spiritual gifts. Now, in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, he says, Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant and literally, he's not saying that you're dumb or you're stupid. He's just saying you just don't know. 
When we take people through next steps a lot of times and we talk about spiritual gifts, what I usually find, people come from various backgrounds, never experience a lot of the spiritual gifts, especially what we, what we know like the, to be the most controversial gift of all time, tongues, praise God. And when people, they say, well, I just don't know anything about it. I don't know anything about it. What, did you go to church? Yeah, we went to church. Nobody ever said anything about it. Nobody, and so what happens, he says, like, if you need to not be ignorant about these things because if they're used properly and effectively, they can actually be a powerful resource for the body, and you need to understand how they function and how they operate and not be ignorant. But then in verse 4, he says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that moves in these gifts, and the Greek word there is charisma. So a lot of people will say, are you all a charismatic church? And I'll say, well, what do you mean by that? Because if you mean I'm going to be flopping like a, floor, like a fish in the floor, then no, I'm not. I know that's not nobody, no, not a laugh one. <laughs> because most of the time what people tie charismatic in, in a group with is that you're just insane and y'all have lost your mind and you're the craziest church ever was. And what I'm telling you is that's not what Paul was saying here. He, charisma, charis is grace, ma is gift. It means grace gift. And the literal word could be translated this. To be, to charisma is the instantaneous enablement of the Holy Spirit in the life of any believer to exercise a gift for the edification of others. Now this can fall on a spectrum. People with the gifts of the Spirit, it can fall on a very broad spectrum. Like even within this church, we fall on a very broad spectrum. There are people in this church who, who have been cessationists, which means they believe none of the gifts are still for today. Amen. On the other side of the spectrum, you have what's called charismania. And these are people who think the gifts are the most important things in the world, and they judge whether a church service was good based on how wild it got. Amen. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm offending both sides tonight, today. <laughs> All right, is that fine? No. So Paul is discussing these things, and he says, look, you, you have to be aware, because in our specific culture, like, and this, this is, I'm just going to talk this out. And I know we got visitors and we got guests, but you know what? I'm just going to talk it out. Because, because here's the thing. I've been in a culture where I have been, I have been overseas. I've been in India where they had tongues and interpretation in services. I've been in Africa where they had tongues and interpretation in services. I've been over here in where they had tongues and interpretation and services. Then I've been in churches where they absolutely don't believe it, and if you speak in it, then they think that you are demon-possessed. And you see those both extremes on the spectrum of what's going on. And Paul is saying, no, this is a gift that is available. And I know that I, I still believe that mo most people, they're still available today. But he says they ought to function in a way where you are aware of something. You need to be aware in a gathering that there are people that are coming in that are uninformed and they are unbelievers. And so he gives like some directions on how it should function. He even says, look, I would rather you actually speak five words in a known language than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Because if I get somebody up here and I pray over them in tongues, my 10,000 words in an unknown tongue, guess what? They don't understand them. It doesn't do anything for them. All it does is edify me in my own spirit and it could confuse them. Especially if they're an unbeliever or uninformed. That's what he's saying. And some people don't like that because they just want everything to be a free-for-all, right? But he's saying, no, if you're going to do it, it needs to be done in a specific way. He says, he says, and so you need to pay attention on how you're doing it because you need to edify the people. And what I found, man, this has been like a, this has been like a debate 
of, of, of different things, and I've, I've vacillated on how it should function and how it should work based on Scripture. But, we, you know, a couple of weeks ago we had a tongue and interpretation, and we hadn't had one in a couple of years. And, and I tell people that have the gift in this church, I always say, look, on Sunday mornings, err on the side of caution. You know why? Because we have people that are uninformed and unbelievers coming in, and, and we don't want to, the main thing we want is people to come in and have an environment where they feel safe and they can be in, introduced to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number one, amen. But if the Spirit of God is moving and you know it's the Spirit of God, who am I to say, quench the Spirit? I cannot say quench the Spirit to anybody. I know, I know pastors that say, hey, don't do it. Quench the Spirit. But the Bible says, do not forbid to speak with tongues. So what I encourage is that the gifts of the Spirit operate most powerfully in the context of things like small groups where people are informed and there's time to teach. But that can happen on Sunday mornings. It's better when they happen on things like Wednesday nights or Sunday nights when you have the core gathering. Because, again, Sunday morning, main thing, we got people that don't know Jesus. We want you to know Jesus. But I'm saying if you are introduced to it, we want to teach you in such a way where you can come to a biblical understanding and see if you agree with us or not on it. Now, I, I understand that people that come to our church may not even agree completely with what I believe on it, and that's okay because we don't make it the main thing. We make Jesus the main thing. And so that being said, he says, when you meet, look at this. He says, 1 Corinthians 14, 3-5, he says, He who prophesies, what? Speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. So he says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. Notice how much he's using this word. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. And so what he's saying, because here's the, here's the other thing. Notice in the context, when he talks about edification, he don't talk about miracles. He don't talk about healing. He don't talk about words of knowledge or words of wisdom. He talks about tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Why? Because he knows that's the realm where it could get crazy. Amen. Y'all ever seen anybody slip out of bounds on some stuff? I've seen some people slip out. I've seen stuff happen in a church that if I were a new believer, I would not come back. I just, it's just the facts. I don't want to be that kind of church. That means that if, if things do slip out, and I'm not talking about holding back. I'm talking about we give God praise, we let the Spirit of God move, but there's a difference between God's Spirit moving and you getting spooky. And I hope you can understand the distinction. And Paul has taken three entire chapters to lay this out because he's saying, hey, Corinthians, when y'all meet together and all of y'all are speaking in tongues and everybody's prophesying and everybody's doing this, guess what? There's uninformed and unbelieving people coming in and they think you are, and it's in the Bible, out of your mind. That's what it says. So I'm saying we need to do what Scripture says, which is earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And he says desire the ones that are going to build one another up. Desire gifts that are going to function in a way that they flow with what God is doing. That you don't jump the gun, that you don't get crazy, but that you flow perfect. The, the, the lady that, that spoke in tongues the other day, she came up to me, she was like, is that okay? I felt it all service, but I felt like holding off to the end. Because literally what she was feeling was a manifestation of the Spirit. She knew a gift was manifesting in her life. And so she gave the message, and there was an interpretation. Now, what happens in our church, because we have so many people that come from a different background, is it's almost like it's hard for people to get built up around it because they're so, oh my gosh, so-and-so was here. Oh my gosh, so-and-so was here. And this happened, this happened. So our culture, we're not there yet. We're just not there yet. 
But guess what? We're going to work in that direction of, of if God, because here's the thing, it's not up to us. If I wrote the Bible, I would have left tongues out, y'all. I didn't write it. I submit to what Scripture says. And I've already experienced enough to know. I, I know that some people, some of you even sitting on the sound of my voice, you believe these things have ceased. That's fine. I disagree. I've already experienced too much to believe that God is still not moving in all of these gifts. God still heals people. He still uses people to lay hands on sick people. He still works in miracles. Unbelief is what hinders us from receiving the fullness of what God has. We want these things. He says, but when you're in the church, he says, if you speak in a tongue, he says, you're going to edify yourself. That Literally, he's talking about prayer in tongues. He's saying privately, you can pray, you can build yourself up, you can edify yourself so that when you come into the church, you can speak a few words in a known language. That's why when I come behind the pulpit, I don't speak in tongues because you wouldn't understand it. I speak in a known language so you can be edified. And he says, if somebody does speak in a tongue, it needs to be interpreted. Why? So that the church can be built up. He says, then, you can go home, you can pray in tongues all you want. You can shoot a, shoot a bow tie all day long. That's probably a bad joke. Some of you leave over that. We have 35 people here next week. But the point is, man, my heart is I want to see God move. Most importantly, I want people who don't know Jesus and are far from Jesus to be introduced to Jesus. When we gather together, we want the Spirit of God to move. And the, he, says, he, says, he says, desire these gifts, but desire even more that you may prophesy. And when we talk about that, we're not talking about biblical authority because he says these things need to be weighed and judged. But what it is is you experience a manifestation of the Spirit and God puts somebody on your heart and there's an impression, maybe a verse of Scripture, an encouraging word, and you go to him and you simply say, you know what, I don't know, I don't know if this is for you or not, but God has put you on my heart and I feel like God is saying this to you right now. You test it, you weigh it, see if it's from the Lord or not. But what does it do when you speak those words of life? It builds them up. Up. It encourages them and it comforts them. New Testament prophecy on its base level is a word from heaven that encourages, builds up, and it comforts somebody. Like, who doesn't want that? And he's saying, so when you gather together, let God move you in a way. So many times I've seen this gift operate in my life. I remember, I remember when I was first, I was at OBI, and I was, I was being called. I felt like going to another church to pastor. And there was a lady that I hadn't spoken with in over three years. I went to school with her at seminary. And she sends me a message. Lives in California. Hadn't spoken to her in three years. Didn't even know her number. She still had my number. She messages me. And I've been praying, God, do I need to go or, or stay? What do I need to do? This is a big time in my life. She says, I had a dream about you last night. And I saw you under a red light. And all of a sudden it turned green. And I heard God say, go. And you need to go. I said, Lord, I'll pray. I waited. I prayed through it, but it was the confirmation that I needed. If I opened a Bible verse, I probably wouldn't have got it, right? So sometimes God uses people around us to speak words that will comfort us, build us up, encourage us, give us direction in those ways. And my last verse here, 1 Corinthians 14, 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together... Each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. What's he saying? Let whatever you have, you meet in a small group or you meet on a Wednesday night. Now, sun, Sunday morning, guess what? It's a little bit more organized because there's more people and there's more going on. And it's just the way that it is. 
And some people say, well, I'd rather it be a free-for-all. Plenty of churches where there are free-for-alls. Amen. Because the main thing here on Sunday morning is the gospel. The main thing here on Sunday morning is the church being built up. The main thing here on Sunday morning is people that don't know Jesus, that they can come in and feel comfortable and they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And guess what? God's still going to move, and he will move in powerful ways. And if he begins to move, we ain't putting those restrictions on him. But I'm saying we're not getting crazy for crazy's sake. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 14, 26. And the reason I'm saying these things, I want you to understand, church, is because anytime one person speaks in tongues, people begin to get very antsy, and they come to me. You know what I'm saying? So I want to clear that up, that we're still going after the main thing, but we're still pursuing God and going to let him move too. And I want us to understand and come together on that. So it says, let all things be done for edification. We want a move of the Spirit where everybody can be used, but we want to reach people with the gospel. We want to build one another up. And here's the thing. The church doesn't always look pretty. We're not always going to do things perfectly. We're not always going to be flawless. And sometimes we may even change our position on, on the way that some things may be done. The church is not always pretty, but it is Jesus' bride, and I ain't ever going to leave it. And I'm going to work through the good times and the bad times, and I hope that you'll do the same. You remember when Jesus called Peter, he said, Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. His name was Simon. Simon had a background of being unstable and shifty and, 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 and crazy, and, and you never knew what he was going to do. And he says, You know what? You may be unstable, Simon, but I'm going to take you in your instability, and now I'm giving you a new name, and I'm calling you Peter, and I'm going to give you a foundation, and on this rock, I will build my church. And I think that Jesus is saying to some people, I know that you've been beat down, you've been discouraged, you felt in, unable, you felt uh, shifty and shaky, but I'm giving you a new name, I'm going to put you on a new foundation, I'm going to put you on a solid rock, and I'm going to build you up from this new place if you'll just simply yield to me. So I want you to bow your heads right there where you're at. We can be in a storm, we can be discouraged, we can be beat up and broken down. But Jesus shows up to embolden us, to restore us, and to use the church to encourage. And so right now, Father, I'm praying, Lord Jesus, that you would just encourage each person. That you'd strengthen them by your spirit. And Lord, if there's anyone in here right now that needs restoration, that needs salvation, I pray that you'd minister to their hearts. And with your, with your heads down and your eyes closed just for a moment, if there is anybody in here this morning, you don't know Jesus, just as an act of faith, you want to respond and say, man, I'm ready for that, and I want you to pray for me because I want to respond to Jesus and have him live inside of me and bring me salvation. I want to put my faith and trust in him just as an act of faith. Would you raise your hand this morning? Anybody? Anybody at all? Praise God. see a couple here. I want to pray for you too right there at your seat would you pray for these two folks that lift their hand this morning with me father we just pray for them and i pray that in this moment lord jesus your word says that if we confess our sins you're faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and so i pray father we pray with them god as we confess our sins and we declare that we believe you died on the cross for our sins we turn to you now lord jesus and we ask you to save our souls Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we confess you as Lord of our lives. We yield to you. And Lord Jesus, we surrender our lives completely to you. 
Lord, we believe that we inherit eternal life through faith in you, and we receive the fullness of that right now in Jesus' name. And amen.